0: Hi friends, Fred Harrell here. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly City Church Sermon Podcast. Just a note that as we continue to shelter in place here in San Francisco, we will be bringing you our Sunday Sermon audio recording via Skype over a Facebook Live broadcast. So if the audio quality seems like a little lower than normal, then now you know what's happening. We just wanted you to know. You can join us on Facebook Live each Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening and subscribing to our podcast.
1: The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill, accordingly, Though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death. That they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upwards and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The word of the Lord.
0: Let us pray, friends. Gracious God, meet us here this time as we gather together online. Help us to know that your presence is right here with us right now. Help us to believe that you have arranged this moment and this space for us That you have something you want us to hear to trust to surrender to to give our lives to give us grace today help us to be present to your presence as we gather together today in christ's name amen you know sometimes in the bible the shortest sentences are the most important ones of all i guess that means that long sermons are a big sin i actually told my wife this and she said no long sermons cause people to sin that's the kind of support I get here at the Herald Home, uh, but short sentences. Think about that. God is love. It is finished. And the shortest of all, Jesus wept. The Bible's answer to grief. Jesus wept. God, be- grief begins with empathic tears. So let's recap cap a little bit as we think about this passage. Jesus has retreated into the wilderness east of the Jordan, awaiting the showdown with the principalities and powers in Jerusalem that will come at Passover. Then something happens that draws Jesus out of the wilderness east of the Jordan in that seclusion back into the dangers of Judea. It's so dangerous for Jesus to return to Judea that Thomas, upon hearing of Jesus' plan to go to see the dead Lazarus in Judea, he says, Let us also go that we may die with him. As far as he was concerned, it was that dangerous. But what we learn about grief in the midst of this story is the different parts of it. Like, for example, first off, the exasperation of grief. Martha in verse 21 and Mary in verse 32 both have the same thing to say. It's both a statement of belief and a statement of blame. They say this to Jesus, you could have done something about this, but you waited and you did nothing. And that's what we say. You know, as a pastor, I have walked into a hospital room with the smell of death still in the air, and I've never heard someone say to me, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. So it's quite the statement of belief for them to say this about Jesus. In grief, we look for scapegoats. Often God gets to play that part, or the preacher who talks about God, and you know what, it's okay. Grief is exasperating. I want you to know that Jesus never rebukes them for saying this to him. He never tells them to be quiet. He never tells them to bypass their feelings or to trot out a super pious God statements or to live in denial or to keep a stiff upper lip. He allows, encourages them to be fully human and he'll meet them in the exasperation and heartache and chaos without judgment. However sheltering in place makes you want to shake a fist at God, God can handle it without judgment, because God knows what grief feels like. You know, I don't know why, but for some reason, Trelly and I have been eating our lunches here, sheltering in place, standing up in the kitchen. It's not like we're in a hurry to go anywhere. It reminded me yesterday of my dad. He used to joke that if you eat standing up, you don't gain weight. It doesn't get stuck here, he would say, pointing to his belly. But here's why dad came to my mind yesterday. Because 17 years ago, yesterday, my father passed from this life to the next. I felt the grief again. It's not the same as it was 17 years ago, but it's still there. Earlier in life, I think I would have repressed it. But yesterday I allowed myself to feel it. I'd love to process a thousand things with him right now. This story of Jesus weeping tells me that God knows exactly how grief feels, and that it is really, it is a really important thing to know in the midst of a pandemic that God knows how grief feels. And even if Jesus knows full well he's going to make all of this turn around in just a few moments, Jesus still Cries. Why? It's just because God knows what will happen. Doesn't mean that God is callous to what has happened. Jesus sees death as an intruder that violates God's shalom and peace, and frankly, he hates it. In verse 33, it says he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. That's a combination of anger and anguish which means that the promise of good outcomes does not deny the right, does not deny you the right to tears and even rage right now. That is not being unfaithful. That's being human. This is, that is being like Jesus. See, Jesus met the exasperation of grief with tears because death and loss and pain is real. And we don't have quick, ready, easy answers. But Jesus crying tells us that we have a God that steps into our exasperation and shares it. And what drives the tears of Jesus? It says there in verse 36 that those watching him cry said, see how he loved him. So he must have cried so hard that it moved them to draw that conclusion. My therapist tells me that whenever I feel the tears of grief coming, that I should wring the rag. Learning to cry really hard is one of the great gifts of my life. I think Jesus was doing that here. Jesus wasn't just shedding quiet tears. He was crying angry tears. He was angry crying. He was ugly crying. He was sobbing. He may have even been howling. Frederick Buechner says about this, Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it is well to pay the closest attention. They are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you have come from and is summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go next. Do you see The value of Lazarus to Jesus. I think Jesus wept for the billions of times people gather at a grave and shed bitter tears. Jesus fully entered into the greatest sorrows of the human race. And what Jesus does in that moment is Jesus is acting like God. He does the most powerful thing any human who knows the fullness of God's abiding love and presence can do. He cries. He's not ashamed of his tears. Jesus's tears validate our tears as not weakness, but holy and healing. And our tears are mixed with the holy tears of God as God grieves them, grieves with us in all of our losses, our suffering, our failure, and pain. And it is only in sharing them with Mary and Martha at the news of death that Jesus speaks of life. The one who is the resurrection and the life, wept with us, for us, and because of his great love for us. More personally, do you believe that Jesus weeps over you? In the death of your life, whatever that death may be right now, whatever your Lazarus is, whatever is breaking your heart, whatever is making you feel helpless, whatever is keeping you awake at night and turning your pillow into a river of tears, God is grieving with you. Jesus meets grief with tears that flow from a heart of love. Can you remember times when you felt God's presence with you in grief? And secondly, there's the hope of grief that we see in this passage. Someone right now might be saying, well, this is great, Fred, but death still remains. I mean, Lazarus goes on to die later on. But as great African-American preachers often say, where we put a period, God puts a comma. Having a God of resurrection means that the story is seldom over when we think it is. I want you to think of the periods that you have put down to later find that God put a comma. I want you to think of the periods you've put down and don't think there will ever be a comma. I want you to reason with me for a moment that if there is such a thing as a God of resurrection, then maybe, maybe I can have hope in a resurrection or redemption that I cannot now fully envision. I would go further to say that sometimes you have to put down a period and trust God with a comma. Sometimes your marriage has to die in order to experience resurrection, whether it's the resurrection of your marriage or the resurrection of your reclaiming your life in what had become a toxic marriage. Maybe you put a period down the terms of your relationship with your child. The terms of your relationship with your child has to die in order for them to grow up and for your relationship to experience resurrection. Maybe it's the relationship with your parents that has to die in order for there to be hope for a new and healthy relationship with them. Maybe it's the relationship you have with your friend that has to die in order for there to be a resurrection of health and authenticity. Maybe the relationship you have with addictive, addictive habits has to die in order for there to be a resurrected life of health and moderation. Maybe the relationship with your career or work has to die in order for there to be a life of balance and sanity. The cycle of death and resurrection is part of the DNA of the universe. It is, of course, the DNA of the good news that we proclaim. It's the good news of Jesus laying down his life of his own accord, as John 10 tells us. It's the good news of Jesus knowing that raising Lazarus will hasten his own persecution and certain death. As the scriptures go on to say after this, From that day on, they planned to put him to death. Jesus knew if he raises Lazarus, he buries himself. This is why Jesus came. That death might not be eternally the victor and the grave might not be forever cruel. As a token of the victory that was to be, Jesus called Lazarus back to the land of the living. And lastly, the exasperation of grief, the hope of grief, but lastly, the community of grief, because Lazarus will need a community to fully experience his resurrection. If Jesus weeps over us, why can't we be characterized as a community that weeps over each other? I've said this in sermons before, but here's a church slogan for you. City Church, a place you will never cry alone because we need a community of grief to walk with us so our tears don't turn us into bitter, closed people. The pain, the loss, even the deaths in your life will not be neutral. They will either cut new grooves of depth and wisdom into your soul, or they will calcify your souls in bitterness, obstinance, and cynicism. And that work requires community, requires each other. The community, perhaps, of therapists or supportive friends and chosen family, the body of Christ, all of us inviting each other into the grief that we carry during this uncertain time and won't always result in perfect understanding. However, understanding is not the only outcome. It's just one outcome. Friendship, faithfulness, solidarity, shared stories of life however bewildering, is another set of outcomes that are possible and are indeed happening as we gather together in groups online. How are you finding the outcomes of friendship, accompaniment, solidarity, shared stories to be life-giving for you right now? Feel free to share these in the comments with one another. But even in this miracle, it took a community. Jesus tells them, all of them to gather together to roll away the stone. Jesus performs the miracle of the raising of his friend, but he leaves a vital part to that community of family and friends gathered around. Four days of Lazarus laying dead in the tomb. Since Jewish belief held that the soul left the body after three days, just in case we're wondering, Lazarus is really dead and it will smell horrendous once that stone is removed. The Old King James Version uses this language for Martha. Lord, by this time, he stinketh. Yes, indeed. Except that the stench of death here meets the fragrance of the resurrecting power of God's Son. And just as Jesus walks right into the stench of that tomb, Jesus will walk right into our stench. Crevices, pain, insecurities, our secrets, our places of damage, and call us out of that death. Free us and give us life. We're going to end today with a poem entitled Facts of Life, read by the author Patrick Otuma. I'm including it in today because it is as real and raw as this story. It tells the truth about life, and in the exasperation, hope, and community of grief with the God of Resurrection, we can sit with one another together and resolve to love.
2: The facts of life. That you were born and you will die. That you will sometimes love enough and sometimes not. That you will lie, if only to yourself. That you will get tired. That you will learn most from the situations you did not choose. That there will be some things that move you more than you can say. That you will live. That you must be loved. That you will avoid questions most urgently in need of your attention. That you began as the fusion of a sperm and an egg of two people who once were strangers and may well still be. That life isn't fair. That life is sometimes good and sometimes even better than good. That life is often not so good. That life is real. And if you can survive it, well, survive it well with love and art and meaning given where meaning scarce. That you will learn to live with regret. That you will learn to live with respect. That the structures that constrict you may not be permanently constraining. That you will probably be okay that you must accept change before you die, but you will die anyway. So you might as well live and you might as well love. You might as well love. You might as well love.
0: Let us pray, friends. Gracious God, we are so grateful today that in Jesus Christ, you show us that you are a God who cries with us. There's a lot of tears being shed in our community right now. And there are tears to come. And we are grateful that you are with us in our tears. You are with us in the exasperation of grief. You are with us as we try our hardest each day to get by. Give us grace, we pray, to know that you are always with us in our tears, that we can bring all of our emotions to you, and that you welcome every part of ourselves into your loving presence and heal us, we pray, daily, hourly, minute by minute. Give us grace to believe that you too walk with us in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. Give us grace to believe that you will be with us tomorrow as you are with us right now, and the day after that, and the day after that. Give us grace to believe, Lord Jesus, that you love us so deeply. We pray all of this in Christ's name.